You know, the OEC Fiber Football Fridays. Did I say that right? OEC Fiber Football Fridays. I'm taking us all over Norman and up into, well, we were in, um, let's see, where all were we last year? Went a little bit more off Highway 9. You know, went to, a little bit towards uh, Bridge Creek. You know, it, we've been all over, all over Josh Helmer. Today is one of those days to where I am going to feel incredibly inadequate on the program, and I just want you guys to prepare yourself. Because on this glorious Friday at OEC Fiber Football Friday, we are at Burn Boot Camp. Now, I don't know, gosh, where's Casey when I need her? Where's the Bry man when I need him? I don't know, Josh Helmer, what this shopping center is is called or what this area is called, but it's right off 35 and Robinson. It's over where they, it's, I can tell you everything that's here. There's a movie theater. There's a sushi place. There is, well, where we are today, Burn Boot Camp. And for my family, there's the Domino's, which was the Domino's that we would always go to. So I don't know the official name, but I'll tell you what. This place is awesome. And a uh, good friend of the station, Scott Christian and his wife, went into business, opened this up. Josh, they opened it during covid Great time to open a gym, but it's thrived, and part of the reason for their success has been Scott's great energy, his wife's great energy, and their relationship with OEC Fiber. So we'll celebrate Burn Boot Camp. Maybe, maybe you'll be motivated. Maybe, maybe you might say to yourself, you know, I heard, uh, I heard that fat guy on the radio today talking about being at a workout place, and it motivated me to go check it out. So here we are. Celebrating OEC Fiber at Burn Boot Camp in Norman. And I will say this, Josh. The vibes are high, but the jams are pretty fantastic. Now, here's my question to you. We have, and I don't know if this was a a Drake Dykin special or a TJ Perry special, but I feel like there's been a lot of times whenever we've had remotes, like when we were in Tulsa, People would come by whenever we were at Neighborhood Jam, and they're like, dang, man, it's, like, loud in here. You couldn't even tell on the radio. How much can you tell that there is a very fit woman that is yelling at everyone to make sure that they're in good shape and jamming in the background? (laughs) Uh, You can tell. You can tell. You're at the uh, Robinson Crossing Shopping Center, by the way. Robinson Crossing Shopping Center. Thank you. How come every shopping center needs to be like a crossing? What is the reason for that, you think? That's uh. That's a good question. I, I, I don't know. Just uh, the crossing of this intersection and that intersection. I like the way. I like the way you're thinking of it. You know, and, and honestly, there's a lot going on over here. There really is. I think that, you know, we could sit here and talk about the University of North Park area, which is, what, maybe a couple par fives away from here, you know, across on the other side of I-35. You can talk about some other places, you know, across, you know, Brookhaven's right down the street. Just this this area in general, right, kind of Robinson and 35, and I don't think you have to go all the way. What's after Robinson? Well, I'm at Tecumseh. I don't think you necessarily have to go all the way to Tecumseh, but you can. The shopping center there. I mean, there is a lot of growth for the Norman community in this area, so it's fun to be here today. Uh, okay, question for you. Because you cover, well, I mean, we, we talk every day on the show, so we talk about everything. But, Josh, here's my question for you off the top of the show today. 
do you want to spend some time talking about the mess in Michigan and what's going on there, or or would you rather take some time to just go all in on OU UCF? Because, and, and let me give you a, a reason for each. Number one, with the Michigan side of things, uh, in my mind, I'm trying to, like, decide how big of a deal this is, right? I mean, I, I don't – I understand the rules, and trust me, I think we've all had maybe a little bit of a rules refresher whenever you're like, wait, what? You, you, you can't do that? <laughs> but to the degree that maybe Michigan was doing it, right? The Big Ten? I mean, was it the Big Ten that came out and said they consider this worse than the Patriots? And the Astros, which I found fascinating. So to me, it's it's a very big deal. And, and there is an Oklahoma tie, but not in a bad way. Not in a bad way at all. They'll explain a little bit later on. So I, I think there's reasonings to go all in on this off the top of the show. And then I also think, you know, yesterday when Eric Lopez joined us, it did kind of push one of our exclusives that we have for you on Thursdays, which is a sneak peek at Coach's Corner, which today – becomes a reaction to Jeff Levy and Miguel Chavis on Coach's Corner last night. So your choice, as you can tell, I I mean, we're going to get to both of them at some point. I just, I can't, dude, I got to stop being on Twitter during football games. I just have to stop. Oh, my gosh. It's so painful. I mean, there's like good, there's a good take every now and then, but it's so, Steve Zabin, great radio host. Once said, Twitter's the greatest thing ever because it's like having a watch party where all your buddies are at your house, but they're not drinking your beer, they're not eating your food, and they're not dirtying up your place. I wish Twitter could get back to that and not just the idiotic nature of how every incompletion is the worst thing anyone's ever seen. Every missed tackle is that guy's got to go. So I I have a lot from the Saints-Jaguars. I have a lot from Dulce and Rice, and we want to get to it. I think we'll do that later. I got a lot for what's on tap this weekend in college football. You have the first massive matchup for the Big Ten this year in conference with Ohio State and Penn State, right? We got some big, it's a moving day in the Big 12. Uh, Could this game between Texas Tech and BYU this weekend, could that be the bowl eligibility matchup? I mean, think about it. If BYU loses that game, where's their next, what, two wins on the schedule? And if Texas Tech loses that game, we go from a team that was in the preseason rankings and people talking about Joey McGuire and Tech as maybe being this year's TCU to maybe not making a bowl. So there's a lot to get to. But I obviously loaded a lot up there. What do you think? Which way do you want to go here to start the show? Well, I imagine we're going to talk Oklahoma throughout. So since you dangled it out there, yeah, what do you make of the okay. Michigan situation? Okay. Um, do we – Let's just set the stage for everything here on this whole topic. I thought Toby did a good job of resetting it about 45 minutes ago because I I feel like that we keep learning a little bit more every single, like, hour. And um, I, I feel like the NCAA kind of has it in for Michigan <laughs> because of some of the things that they've ducked, dodged, dart, dive, and dodged. But here's what we've learned about the Michigan sign-stealing saga over the last 24 hours. Now, again, to reiterate, stealing signs during a game is not illegal. I mean, you, as long as you're not using 
technology and recording devices, stealing signs by no means is illegal. But to set the tone for this, Josh, NCAA bylaw 11.6.1 states, quote, off-campus in-person scouting of future opponents in the same season is prohibited. Right? Law. Rule. The NCAA investigation also includes games prior to the 2022 season, where Michigan has been accused of having people attend future opponents' games, as well as those and potential college football opponents, to gather information about the team's signals for offensive and defensive players that are sent from the sideline. Uh, defensive plays that are sent from the sideline. Now, this is this is an oddity for those of us that cover Diamond Sports, right? And I uh, I would love to get Coach Gasso's take on this or Coach or Coach Johnson's because, I mean, Josh, that's part of the scouting in baseball and softball and even in basketball, right? You're there, you know. You're you're sitting if you're in a tournament if you're playing a team in a oh gosh a classic or a or attorney, you know, you're sitting and going early and watching games before yours and watching afterwards. I mean, it's. It, it's it's a completely different world on the gridiron than it is in diamond sports and other sports, correct? I mean, you, you agree with that? Yeah. No, I, I think that's correct fair, and right? fair to say. I guess my point is it seems like this is a pretty exclusive conversation of football right now. Here's more of what we've learned. And I hate using this term because it's so, what's the word I'm looking for, so demeaning. But a low-level staffer. And for some reason, they added that he's got a military background, which I, 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 I don't know. Does that kind of add to the the way in which this plot was played out? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. It feels like an unnecessary detail. <laughs> a low-level staffer who has a military background, named Connor Stallions, who is a football analyst, is being mentioned as the person of interest in the investigation, and. According to sources, and this is from, let's see, uh, Pete Thamel's reporting and Mark Schlebaugh, but the NCAA enforcement staff's level of interest in Stallions, and I believe that's how you would say his name, is so significant that it sought access to his computer as part of its investigation. Sources indicated that the process is underway, although it's uncertain what investigators will find. Now, I, I want to step back just a little bit. Even in today's digital world, right, with digital ticketing and things of that nature, I I really feel like, Josh, there is going to be a very heavy burden of proof that is going to be really hard to truly meet, right? Yeah, I, I that, that's correct. This uh, This whole thing is just, it's kind of crazy. I'm sort of torn in between probably a lot of teams are doing this and the black and white of this plank, which is the the rules are what the rules state, and it appears in a clear attempt Michigan's trying to break said rules. A source told ESPN the Wolverines have used an elaborate scouting system to steal signs from future opponents since at least 2021. With the ongoing NCAA investigation into Michigan recruiting and Jim Harbaugh facing additional penalties, this ESPN.com story says the separate investigation could significantly increase his exposure to an additional suspension. Harbaugh released a statement yesterday denying any understanding. The Big Ten Conference 
got very dramatic with things, right? The Big Ten considers the integrity of competition to be of the utmost importance and will continue to monitor the investigation. Josh, I have a trivia question for you. Okay. And I'm and I'm gonna leave, unless you answer it. Do y'all remember the last time this was a big deal for Oklahoma? Do you remember when allegations of this done blowed up? You don't have to go back too terribly far. I I don't. I'll I'll leave it for the text line because I guarantee you at 405-651-3439, somebody's got a memory that can go back yeah, the last 15 years. But there's been, and it involves one of my guys too, but anyway. There is a lot of, I think, this that goes on. Just in, in different avenues and in different ways. I don't think that either, see, I don't, I don't know how this came out, Josh. I don't know how this became a story. I don't know if there were people that were complaining. <laughs> Jesse G in the 479 got it right away. No, it wasn't Baker Mayfield stealing signs from TCU, though that was hilarious. That was hilarious in the post game. I think Sonny Cumbie was their offensive coordinator at TCU, and Sonny Cumbie goes, I'll go over there, and there's good old Baker Mayfield just watching me signal everything in and turn it over to their defensive coordinator. Yeah, are, are you saying for what the, the text line a couple are, are saying here, Levy? Yes. Yeah. Yes. You remember that? Sure, sure, of course. I, I thought uh, I thought maybe there was something for an OU player or employee at the no, time. No, no, I'm sorry. I, I was probably not being it. But it involved OU, and that was when Jeff was with Baylor and he came to support Philip Montgomery and everyone was lo- was losing their minds. It was like, what? He's taping what's going on on the side. It was amazing. It was an amazing explosion around him. I don't think 14, I think I was still in Tulsa in four. Was I? We started doing yes, the show. And, we started doing the show in 16, right? Because... I think, yeah. Anyway, n- numbers come together, but I guess the point more than any, more than anything else, Josh. We we as fans then step back, and I and I would ask y'all like two to three simple questions. Now, in the original Yahoo Sports article, they refer to how good Brent Venables has been throughout his career of doing this. In fact, so much so that in their semifinal game for Clemson against. Ohio State, Ohio State started huddling. They would huddle. And they they never did that. So that way that they wouldn't be able to get their signs because Brent Venable's really good at it. I can tell you, I know for a fact. Uh, I, now I'm not saying anyone on, on this current squad, but I knew dudes over the last, since 2011, that were just really, really good at picking what other teams were doing. It's part of the game. But Josh, if it, if it to you, or is it to you this massive advantage? Is it unfair? Is it something to where you expect the NCAA to try and drop the hammer? Is it a big deal to you as a fan? I mean, there's so many different layers and levels to this, and it's funny. True Sooner says, hey, Daryl Royal, uh, blame Barry Switzer for spying. You know, what's the great story from 1999 where Mike Leach had the fake play sheet that Texas thought they had? You know, it's it's kind of ingrained in the history of this sport, right? So I guess my question to you is how big of a deal is this for Josh Helmer? How severe should this punishment be? 
my initial reaction was it feels like the NCAA is trying to make a target out of Michigan, right? I mean, obviously with what's already been going on with Harbaugh and the situation there with his suspension, it feels like they were trying to catch him uh, doing something else. So that was my initial response. As you start getting into the weeds of this thing and, and thinking about it and reading up on it a little bit more, it does feel like it raises beyond the level of just the gamesmanship side of, of stealing signs. That's part of the game. But uh, if, if you're using electronic equipment, I mean, it's, it's clearly stated, right? You can't do that. If you're sending a staff member specifically to sit there and find out signs at games, you can't do that. I wonder how much of an advantage it truly gave him. I wonder if, with all these number nerds that we have, Josh, I wonder if we could somehow find a way to quantify, you know, whether or not it truly created that big of an advantage. Uh, here's a couple of things uh, from the 580. Just real quick, Mark and Marlowe. Stallion, that's the military guy that's mentioning this, is a former Navy code breaker. This was child's play to him. <laughs> Um, the mili- uh, the 580, his military background could be relevant if he was trained in covert information gathering or was a spy. All right, fair point. I just, I'm going to be honest with you. Whenever I saw that he had a military background, that's the first thing I thought of. I was like, wow, they're really getting serious in this spying stuff. And I was like, in my mind, I thought, come on, chill out. There's no way it's that big of a deal. And then lo and behold, it is. <laughs> Well, so what what do you think is the end game here? Nothing happens for this until 2024. Do you think something happens rather immediate? How much this is a good Michigan football team too? Yeah, yeah, it is. That's uh, right in the thick of the college football playoff hunt. Obviously, trying to win a third consecutive Big Ten championship, and though they haven't really been tested yet, we we do have an indication or reason to believe that yeah, they're they're pretty pretty good again. It just might go win the Big Ten again this season so my initial response would be no I don't expect anything super immediate though you do get that sense that this is the NCAA a little bit trying to make an example of Harbaugh and Michigan so maybe this is that unique situation where something happens swiftly I would think probably not given the NCAA's track record though yeah absolutely I just again we've I knew once we got into this I'm fascinated by this story, Josh. I knew it might take a second to pull me out of it. So I know we got a break. But this also leads me to believe or or, or ask, what what is the NCAA's role truly going to be going forward? Because every single time I think that, you know, we see something that and see a study or a, a suggestion that says, yeah, you need to get out of this. You need to start doing this, be more of this. Boom, they're back in the enforcement game. Right from disassembling the IRAP or whatever it was that you know Mike Boynton wants an apology for the Oklahoma State head basketball coach or from I guess I should say to now this whole thing with the Michigan situation and now the sign stealing saga is the NCAA still trying to swing for the fences and say we're here to be an enforcement entity or what because that's what it seems like to me if it feels that way a little bit uh, or it's uh custard's last stand <laughs> uh jessica bame already sent the tweet of the day she writes on the super secret textoso line michigan is probably only in because whoever they pay to watch the iowa illinois offense last year has finally completed enough therapy to report it to osha 
who reported inhumane working requirements to the NCAA. Hey, now, that was a beautiful defensive football game. Though I will say the my favorite thing was the memes that came after this announcement of, of uh, basically trying to hold people's eyes open, and it's like, watch Iowa's offense. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Poor Josh. He has to watch it every week. All right, we'll get your reaction to that coming up next. Big story breaking in college football yesterday, and obviously something that has a historical context to it uh, for, you know, the history of OU football, the history of college football in general. We'll get your reaction to it and start dipping in to OU-UCF coming up next. It's an OEC Fiber Football Friday. We're at Burn Boot Camp and Robinson Crossings right here. Uh, North Interstate Drive. It's Plank Show right here on the route. Okay, so it's a very busy OEC Fiber Football Friday. We're at Burn Boot Camp here at Robinson Crossings. We're, we're kind of all in right now on the Michigan situation, Josh. So let's go ahead and just put a wrap with some of the, the good questions on the Knippelmeyer Chevrolet text line at 405-651-3439. Still to come in the show. Uh, Lee Sterling, ParamountSports.com. We'll get his picks for the weekend ahead. Uh, got a lot to get to from Coach's Corner this week with both Miguel Chavis and Jeff Levy. Coach Levy, I, if you guys don't, I, I tweeted it yesterday, but if you get a chance, the article that Eric Lopez, who was on the show with us yesterday, wrote, it's really good. It's really good about the ties that Levy and Dylan Gabriel had to UCF. You know, it's kind of wild when you think about it. Josh, there was a lot of people that wanted Jeff Levy to get that head coach's job. And, you know, I I don't know about you, but whenever I watch Jeff Levy, I, I think he's a future head coach. I think he's got a chance. Now, I, I, again, uh, I've said this a thousand times. I'm his biggest fan. I think he's a freaking rock star. And I think he can do whatever he wants in his profession, right? Uh, there's always going to be a tie to his father-in-law and Kyle in, in, in Baylor, and I understand that, and I get that. Um, we also don't understand all of the intricacies of that relationship and just how close Jeff is to his father-in-law. I mean, I think that there is something to be said for that. You can love someone and, and want them to be a part of your life, and yet you know that they were involved in something that was heinous and terrible. Right? I mean, it's just it's the reality of it. But my point is... Like that. There was a lot of people, Josh, that thought Jeff Levy might get that job. And it got me thinking, just in general, before we hit the text line, when you look at this staff right now for Oklahoma, setting aside analysts like Seth Luttrell and Matt Wells, who I think both want to be head coaches again. Uh, Matt was, I think Matt could have had the Tulsa job if he wanted it. And I know that Seth Luttrell's name has already been bandied about in places like Indiana if they make a move. Um to, and, again, that would be a pretty good jump up for him. But still, just these are guys who are going to be head coaches again at some point. Heck, for Seth, maybe it might have to be somewhere like Louisiana Tech first. I don't know. I'm just throwing names out there. But from your perspective, do you – I mean, when, when you think about guys like Miguel Chavis, when you think about Jay Valai, when you think about Brandon Clark uh, – Brandon Clark. <laughs> Brandon Hall. Do you see guys that – because I, I, I think I do – they're going to be head coaches again or head coaches at some point? Because I think Levy's going to. Yeah, Jeff Levy feels like definitely he's going to be a head coach somewhere if he wants to be, which, right. which you would imagine probably he does. I think uh, a lot of those guys for Oklahoma can. Hall kind of, to me, has sort of the makeup, it seems like, of maybe a, a head coach down the road. Just think so, too. Just the way he talks and acts, he kind of feels like he's built that way a little bit. I think DeMarco? Has uh, has that if he wants it? 
I think DeMarco, I think DeMarco would be an awesome head coach. I just can't help but wonder what kind of head coach he would be, right? He's an intense dude now. I mean, he is intense. And I wonder if he would become more of a, like a presidential coach. In other words, you know, sure. what's that Colin Coward promo that we hear in, endlessly? I need my quarterbacks to be more quarterbackian, whatever that means. But, I mean, from a head coach, I think I, DeMarco Murray might be really good. But I, I only bring it up, you know, full circle back to the original point. There was a lot of people, especially some of the players on that team, that thought he should be the next guy. You know, time will tell if they made the right call. Gus Malzahn seems to have things rolling pretty well. They're definitely struggling with the uh, with the shift to the Big 12. They're only – well, they haven't won a game in Big 12 play yet. So I'm I'm intrigued by just kind of the whole – that's a place that gave Levy a chance. That's a place that gave Dylan Gabriel a chance when he didn't have a ton of D1 offers. Uh, I, want, I wonder what that feelers are going to be like for them come Saturday. But I highly suggest reading the article that we tweeted yesterday. Uh is it a storyline to you? Gabriel back against his former team, Levy against the place he coached? Sure it I is. Think it is. Sure it is. But uh, I, I don't think it's a, you know, on the Oklahoma end of the equation, I don't think it's as big of a story as it is for the UCF oh, end no, of the exactly. equation. I, I mean, there's some venom. As, uh, as we heard from Eric Lopez, it did right. not end well from the UCF standpoint. Now, I don't think that Dylan Gabriel shares those feelings. I think Dylan Gabriel has only nice things to say about UCF and his time in Orlando. And, uh, you know, obviously, again, he he left of his own accord, which I think makes it different. So it's a storyline, but uh, the, the bigger storyline for Oklahoma is building off of what they did in the Cotton Bowl and what they've done so far at 6-0. and Remind me, I have a June conversation for us. For those that are new to the station, when we say a June conversation, it's something we can really go in-depth on when there's not a college football game coming up this weekend. But I wonder if for UCF fans, Josh, if Gabriel doesn't fall into that category of guys that did such a, or at least tried to do such a good job with NIL early on, whenever we were still learning about NIL, that it set fans off when it shouldn't have. And I think Gabriel's in that group. Spencer Rattler is definitely in that group. DJ Uyunglele is in that group, right? Guys who we thought were going to be next level and immediately thought, hey, I've got NIL opportunities. I'm going to profit off this. So I think there's a group of guys early on. I'm sure there's others that are escaping, but remind me that for a June afternoon because I think that'd be fun. You got Uh, On the Michigan conversation to the Knippelmeyer Chevrolet text line from the four- 05. Do you think it's different if a staff member is sent to the opponent's games, not just during the game being played? Uh, well, that's the problem here. There being the staff member was allegedly sent, and maybe it's—I'm sure this guy is going to be made to be the fall guy, right, Josh? But maybe it was part of his plan to say, "Hey, I'm going to go watch him, and and I'll just buy a ticket, and no one will ever know, and I'll." Start gathering intel from across the other side of the field. So that's the problem here. Um, but, yeah, if that's what that's what he's doing. So I don't see if it's different at all unless I'm misconstruing what you're laying out. The 785 writes, wasn't there something with Nick Saban's staff at LSU spying on OU before the 2003 National Championship game in New Orleans? Yeah, as a matter of fact, <laughs> 
as a matter of fact, I remember hearing stories about that, Josh, when we went in, what was that, 15 Bobs last year whenever we went there to the Sugar Bowl? Because uh, OU had gone to the Sugar Bowl after the what, 13th season, so it was the 14th Sugar Bowl, and then after the uh, 14, 15 season, whenever the Sugar Bowl was, they went because they beat Auburn, they beat Alabama. And I, I remember, you know, when we went with, I'd never gone to the Sugar Bowl before. In fact, when we played Alabama, Josh, I'd never been to New Orleans before. So that was, well, <laughs> I went for my bachelor party, but I was much younger and I do not remember it. So it was really cool for me because I'd never been and kind of learning about it. And I remember when we went for Auburn, like we were walking around an area in the concourse and someone said, hey, you know, this is, this is that spot where people think that everyone comes to photograph other teams' walkthroughs and practices and stuff. And it was literally, I mean, because it was a little bit up, it was kind of in the press box because it's an open-air press box. And I was like, yeah, you could easily, easily, easily get away with that. Yeah, so Mayfield's Sugar Bowl was 15, that's right. Uh, 16, excuse me, that was Bob's last season. Um, Nick writes... Nothing may happen this year with this, but could it be a distraction for the rest of the season? What do you think? Could it be a distraction, Josh? Uh, yeah, it could be distracting, sure. I-, I think that more than anything, it's just going to be obnoxious for right. players. The-, the question is, how much did this actually impact their success? I mean, it could be, it could be detrimental to Michigan if this is actually a big component for them. I tend to think it's not, though. I mean, how much can you really gain from sign stealing? Hasn't uh, the signaling of signs in, I mean, hasn't that gotten more complex than ever before? That, that's why we need somebody to tell us, could you and how realistic is it that you get a big-time advantage from this? Yeah, no, no kidding. No kidding. A hundred percent. As my man Gary Cavins likes to say, a hundred percent. The five eight zero writes: the NCAA is just trying to show they still have teeth in this day of NIL and transfers. Spence in Tulsa: the NCAA will announce findings and carry out punishments for Michigan the Monday of Ohio State week. But then there is that overriding question, which I think is is one that is just pretty pretty simple. Why don't we just go to speakers in the helmet? Why don't they just do what the NFL does? Yeah, why don't they do that? Yeah, money, I would assume. Yeah, but that's, that's the only thing. Is, you know, for programs like Michigan and Oklahoma and everybody, I mean, that's. Well, hey, do you know what? I think, I think there should be no problem with having them across the board i don't think it should be an issue i and people want to say expense sure but in that same vein how serious how concerned are you with this how serious of an issue is this it's like we talk about and i know we got to break josh it's like you and i talk about incessantly with tampering in the portal if it's a big issue to you and if it's a big issue to the ncaa and the coaches change the rules if this is an issue and this is a problem Spend the money. Put the transmitter in the helmets. I mean, we're doing it in baseball, for goodness sakes. Can it be that much more expensive to do it for football than it is in baseball? I mean, seriously, Josh, they're 
they're signaling in signs in baseball now through the walkie-talkies. How much more expensive could it be for football than what it is on that level? I, I know there'd be more people involved, and I'm not I'm not ignorant to that, but all I ever hear is, is about, and, and, and I see it, how underfunded baseball and softball truly is at its core. But if they can find the money to give them that technology, you're telling me we can't get speakers in the helmets for college football? Makes no sense. No, I'm with you. Uh, it seems like something that why would it not be done? All right. Um, <laughs> Drake, though, brings up a good point. From a selfish perspective, please, no more wireless transmissions on game day. <laughs> yeah, it could create a little bit of a problem. And this is a good point on the super secret Textoso line. Looks like Michigan wasn't able to scout and steal TCU signals last year. <laughs> Loco Ohio added the same thing. All right, I, I don't know how much more in-depth. I, I don't know how much more in-depth you guys want to go on this. We'll leave it to the text line at 405-651-3439. When we come back, Josh, let's start diving into uh, UCF's run game, how the Sooners will attack it, and the matchup Saturday between Oklahoma and UCF. It's next as we are live on an OEC Fiber Football Friday from Burn Boot Camp right here at Robinson Crossings on the ref. All right, welcome back into the ref on an OEC Fiber Football Friday. You hear the work being done in the background. We're at Burn Boot Camp at Robinson Crossings. They've been part of the OEC Fiber Football family. OEC Fiber Football. A part of the OEC Fiber family since October of 22. Scott and Casey, incredible. Uh, business partners with Alicia Jones, co-owners, Burn and Norman, as well as the Burn South OKC. We're going to talk to Scott a little bit later on. He's a great dude. Good good member of the Ref Army, even in that Plank Platoon, which is what we always appreciate. Okay, so on Saturday morning, 11 a.m., Oklahoma and UCF, we talked a lot about UCF's rushing attack, right? On Coach's Corner this week, Miguel Chavis gave us a little bit of a sneak peek. Not, not all the game plan, but a little bit of a sneak peek as to what he expects from this UCF attack. I mean, it all starts there. You know, I, t- I tell my guys, you got to earn the right to rush your passer. You know, you got to earn the right to rush the passer. So how do you do that? You got to get them backed up. How do you back them up? You got to stop them first down. And that's all the game, though, man. You know, whether it's zero, whether it's seven, you know, these guys are explosive. And these guys are really good nationally and, and yards per rush. They're, they're piping it at a, at a pretty nice tick. So uh, good players, man. You got to tackle. And you got to you know, like, hey, this is a really good team. They're going to make some plays. By the way, we were – I hope you don't mind me saying this, Josh, but we were queuing up that audio during the break, and Josh said they better not. It just cracked me up so much. Uh, the Knights' rushing offense leads the Big 12, third in the country at 246.3, which is behind Air Force, who runs the triple option, and Liberty. UCF is just one of these programs that has surpassed 1,400 rushing yards as a team this season, with the Knights compiling 1,478 yards. It's not just the rushing attack from Miguel Chavis. It's the UCF offense in general. It's a great offense, man. It's a great team. They're very, very well coached. This is a scheme that uh, is explosive. It's a scheme that challenges your eyes. It's a scheme that uh, shows you a lot. And just look at what they've done in the conference and then nationally. You know, this is a a very, very good offense. And um, I'll let Coach Lebb talk about their defense when he comes on the show. Um, But it's a good team. you got to 
you got to come ready. The, you know, the left tackle, 71s, he started 30 games. The right tackle, 78, is transferred from Alabama. He's a really, really, really good player. And so, you know, I, I was ignorant of it when I was uh, working for a different school and a different conference. But, man, like, and I know UCF is is now, you know, Big 12. Uh, but, man, what a great job they've done. And what an unbelievable job this program has done in expediting its success in the football field. And um, so it's going to be a really great challenge. Now, at the very least, what you're hearing from the head coach during his press conference on Monday, sorry, Tuesday, to what you heard in the coach's show on Monday night, to what you hear from all the assistants and the coordinators that we're able to do shows with, Josh, this very much seems to be a team that Oklahoma by no way, shape, or form is taking lightly based on their record. Yeah, I think they understand that especially on the defensive side of the football, UCF, I mean, look, the numbers are what the numbers are. It's a, a good offensive football team that just got its quarterback back, and now they can operate at maximum capacity, and they can they can stress you a little bit. So I think OU defensively at least is talking the talk like they're ready for a legitimate challenge. You know, it's kind of wild. He, Whenever he said, I, I was kind of ignorant – of it which which to me i i know that nobody wants a a ucf history lesson but it is kind of wild to think that they were a d2 school actually actually josh they started as a d3 program they moved to d2 they moved to d1 double a and they've only been a division one program since 1996 which is wild to me that you went from being, and I think that's like the progression. Um, it's like Arca, Xfinity, Cup. Four people got that. That's all that matters. But it was kind of the progression. All right, let's see what we can do in D3. Let's see what we can do in D2. Now, all of a sudden, they're not only a D1 program since 96, which I know we're looking back now almost 30 years ago, but still, they're in a Power 5 conference. And... You know, you, you, you think about other teams that have played football for a really, really long time. UCF, since 96, right, in, in Division One, already has had seven 10-win seasons. Iowa State in its history has none. It's a good program. They've done a nice job. Now, do they have any business slowing down the Sooners or having success against the Sooners on Saturday? No. We'll see which wins. The best rushing attack in the Big 12, one of the top five in the country, or one of the best rushing defenses, the best rushing defense in the Big 12, and one of the best rush defenses in college football. It's a fun matchup. We're here from Jeff Levy next. Lee Sterling right around the corner. Plank shows on the road on an OEC Fiber Football Friday with Josh Helmer. I'm Chris Plank. This is the home of Sooner fans, the ref. Spend a little time looking at UCF. We talked about their offense. You heard from Miguel Chavis. Let's see what Jeff Levy has to say about what UCF is bringing to Norman on Saturday defensively. Oh, I guess it would help if this is plugged all the way in, Josh. Yeah, they've done a great job not giving up the big play in the throw game. They've done a really nice job. They're, you know, top 20 in the country, pass efficiency. Um, they've, they've played really, really good on the back end. So they're an older group. I think they've got seven of the 11 are seniors uh, with, a, with a junior as well. So they're, 
they're an old group. I think it's pretty similar offensively, a bunch of old guys on, on, on the football team. So um, we're going to have to go take it. You know, we're going to have to earn it. And we've got to do a great job starting the fight, you know, being incredibly physical on the perimeter, whether it's in our perimeter blocking game or being able to get off press and finding ways to, to go run on these guys and go, go win at the top of routes as well. So being able to play through how handsy they are initially and, and uh, being able to get off of stuff when we're trying to get out of out of our breaks at the top of routes will be, you know, will be critical in our one-on-one matchups. Handsy physical corners, Josh, which to me, uh, boy, that would have really played well for Andrell Anthony. But I do think that becomes a major storyline come Saturday, right? Which which of these receivers steps up to be the next dude? We, we've seen Farouk. We've seen Stoops. Consistent, solid. You know, the guys that have slid in when when called upon the nick anderson had the big game against tulsa had the game when he catch against texas now jane gibson has been a highlight machine whenever he's called upon i could this again petway seems to be more of an inside guy but could they find more ways to get him involved now i think i think the the wide receiver when you hear jeff levy talk about that josh i think wide receiver is going to be very fascinating knowing anthony's outcome saturday has anybody asked Jeff Lebby or in any of the offensive coaches that if Petaway maybe would they'd move him around a little bit to the outside? I don't know. Now we didn't specifically talk about Petaway, but when we talked to Coach Lebby about it, and I'll see if I can't hunt down the audio about hey, you know it sucks. Andrew Anthony's been doing so well in saying great things, and I'm paraphrasing here because I know we're up against it for a break. But Levy basically said they feel really good about that room and they feel, feel really good about the progress that those guys have left and have made. And while it's a – I mean, I, I'm not breaking any news to you, Josh. While it's a massive, massive hole to try to replace Andrew Anthony, you know, don't sleep on a guy like maybe even an L.V. Bunkley Shelton, mm-hmm. uh, whom I haven't seen in a couple of weeks, but I, I, I know he has that in him. Jane Gibson, obviously, Nick Anderson. Uh, J.J. Hester we've seen a few times. Brendan Thompson. So I, I think they feel really good about it. But, man, I would love to see more of 17 out there on the field. I think he's got a chance to be special. All right, Lee Sterling joins us next right here on The Ref.